You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Will you stop the fans, please? And love. Oh, and love, he's got a real chance now. Peter and love. John Walk will take the penalty. Up goes Dion Dublin! Unknown goal from Ruddock! Before by Frank here for Kiwabia. Panister and Bruce in the queue again. Bruce scores! Oh, a magnificent goal from Darren Huckabee! Still rule Fox. He's gone to the left. Oh. Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh he No! Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin Will He Score. I am Chris Skoll and joining me, Josh Widdicombe. Hello. And some say that on his last game of Championship Manager 3, he managed to transcend the remit of football manager and establish himself as a totalitarian despotic monarch. <laughs> Others claim that he recently rewatched every second of Gary Lineker's career and feels he deserved at least two yellow cards. It's Michael Marvin. <laughs> Hello. Shall we do some correspondence? Yes, please. I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the Electronic Post Bag. You've got mail. Right. Firstly, Tom Parry Jones, 29 and three quarters. He listened to the Demo Gallagher episode and heard us talking about Vegard Hegem and his Salmon Lodge. He actually went there last August, and he can vouch for the fact that he's a thoroughly marvellous gentleman. Of course he is. The lodge itself is out of the way in rural Norway, quite picturesque on the River Auckland. If you can afford it, well worth the visit, especially if you get to stay in the chalet where he keeps all his footy memorabilia. Suffice to say, he really cherished his time at Liverpool. I love, love the Liverpool. idea of his chalet with all his footy memorabilia. I wouldn't let people stay in there. I'd be really worried about Liverpool fans. <laughs> about losing his Jamie Carragher's own shirt. <laughs> you go down there and try and nick it all. Just leave him with his salmon. <laughs> Next story. This one from Ronan Connolly. I've been waiting to send this story in for some time, and after hearing your Phil Babb story last week, brought me back to my days. <laughs> brought me back to my days at uni when Stuart Ripley popped up in a conversation one day during a hungover nostalgic '90s chat. Yes, please. We heard that he was now a solicitor, which we have also heard. Yeah. I thought this was a good opportunity to speak to a proper '90s legend. One of my mates rang his office, pretending to be Mark Kinsella, who had also been discussed regarding. Why his do people career. always <laughs> pretend to be another '90s know, yeah. footballer? Like they were all mates. This is the thing. <laughs> One of my mates rang his office pretending to be Mark Kinsella who had also yep. been discussed regarding his stellar career with Charlton and looking to discuss an old injury that had flared up which he had traced back to a tackle with Stuart. We Oof. left the number with his secretary of a friend who was not present thinking nothing of it. To our surprise a few days later one of the lads said I've just had a voicemail from Stuart <laughs> Ripley. He had left a voicemail saying that he had been passed a message and asking Mark to contact to discuss further. We never contacted him Why again. Why didn't you contact him again? That's... <laughs> 
I didn't see indecision. Were they trying to imply that Mark Kinsella wanted some compensation for this tackle by Stuart Ripley? And as as a solicitor, I I reckon Stuart Ripley got his defence sorted. (laughs) Unlike he didn't at Blackbird towards the end of Kenny Dalglish. Represent himself. (laughs) Is Ripley hoping Ripley will represent Kinsella against Ripley? Ripley versus Ripley. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, you may recall a couple of weeks ago that we asked, have you ever played against a ringer? Uh, A former 90s player who was playing for a Sunday league team. We got this email from Alex Bosworth. He said, just listening to this week's pod and the stories at the start, couldn't resist emailing in when you asked if anybody had played against a 90s footballer recently and you mentioned Marlon Harewood. Yeah. Ironically, I played against being Well, I think we're treading... Uh, He's alive in the 90s. He was good at football in the 90s, even if it was for his school. Your honour. So is Cristiano Ronaldo, presumably. <laughs> Ironically, I played against Big Marlon only a month ago in the not senior league division two. Bad day at the office for him as we run resoundingly eight one. I play at centre half and marked him for the ninety minutes. Bloody nice bloke, strong as an ox, <laughs> not too mobile. He said, "Here's a picture showing us battling for a ball." If you Google the not senior league and his team, you'll see his name there. Mental, isn't it, Alex Bosworth? Now, uh, Marlon Harewood losing eight one. I know Marlon Harewood a little bit. Yeah, and I text him. Oh wow! This is me to Marlon. Hey mate, recently asked listeners of the podcast if they've ever turned up for a Sunday league game to see a ringer in the opposition. We've since had this email come through, but surely it can't be right because it says you got beat eight one. I refuse to believe it, but he even sent a pick. This is Marlon Harewood. Lol. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we did. The team I play for are not the best. I just do it to keep fit. I said, haha, Marlon, I hope you got the one. I think I did. He claimed it. <laughs> he claimed it. There we go. Marlon wow. Howard taking defeat in his stride. We should do a new feature where um, people, because we've got Marlon Howard's number. If you want Chris to text Marlon Howard any questions or queries yeah. <laughs> about football, yeah. don't know. <laughs> Well, you should have a bet. What's Marlon's favourite album? And then you can text him. Oh, uh, that's great. Yeah, ask Howard. Ask Howard. <laughs> Ask Harewood, get them in. Hello at Queen. Because what we haven't got is enough features at the top of this podcast. <laughs> okay. Last one. Rob Wisely. Spotted. I, <laughs> spotted. I just thought this was a lovely email. After listening to the podcast from the start, I've only just realised that I may be sitting on a gold mine of encounters with 90s footballers. How's he only just realised? <laughs> I know. He's been listening since the start. <laughs> it's literally the only thing we've been asking for six months. <laughs> Absolutely baffling. Um, I grew up in the 90s in Sutton Coldfield, just outside of Birmingham. Round the corner from our house was a house that Aston Villa owned. Yes. It was used for newly signed Villa players to live in. Not only that, but Dwight York and Brian Lara lived in the house next door to it. At this age... That's true. Michael's made a face. But that will be true because... Well, I know they're friends. But Brian Lara played for Warwickshire, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. So... It was just more this weird. I was picturing like a terraced house, row of terraced houses in Birmingham somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> like Stella Street. <laughs> Brian, Lara, and Dwight York, and then yeah. Savo it's like a great. It's like a great flat share sitcom where Brian, Lara, and Dwight York. <laughs> and they're always arguing about what's better, football or cricket. Well, one always leaves the toilet seat up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, at this age at the early age he was I felt he lacked tact and appropriateness so I regularly knocked on their doors for a little chat to ask for a signature to see if they fancied a quick kickabout so this 
is a house. Yeah. Well, whenever Aston Villa signed someone who didn't live yeah. in the Birmingham area, they lived in it. Did David Unsworth live in it for like a day? Well, <laughs> I'm happy to say that Rob Wisely has supplied us with a list of highlights oh, from oh his time God. living in the area. The highlights were me and my mate playing two on two with Niall Lamptey and his brother in the garden. <laughs> oh, wow. Nearly getting run over as I skateboarded down their road by a visiting Gareth Southgate. Savo Milosevic's dog continually getting into our garden and his wife coming over our house to fetch it. Wow. Sasa Kerchich dog continuously getting to our garden and my mum losing her rag with him because he wouldn't come round to fetch it. There was even an occasion when my mum took the dog back round to his house and even though he was in plain sight lying on his sofa in the lounge, he would not get up to answer the door. Sasa Kerchich was like a well-known kind of bad boy, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's Alex. Yeah. Now, this one, judge for yourself if it's true. Having a snowball fight with Dwight York, Phil Babb, and Brian Lara. They said it was the first time they saw snow. Yeah, I know that. Oh, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not having that. Not um, Phil Babb. He grew up in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking this all at face value because it's the greatest email we've received yeah. since the other Phil Babb. Phil Babb is such a cross pollinated <laughs> brilliant. But that is such a nightly thing. Right? Any, any slightly exotic player, or is like Georgie Hatcher or anything, oh, yeah. can't, continually linked with the first time they saw snow. Yeah. <laughs> Georgie Hatcher didn't even play in England. He played yeah. in Romania, which is famously cold. So it was a very <laughs> weird rumour about him. <laughs> um, going round to ask for Dw- Dwight York's autograph while wearing a Man United goalkeeper top. I like to think I might have pushed him over the edge. Brilliant. Thomas Hitzelsberger having a massive satellite dish has attached to the side of his house. <laughs> Dwight York regularly practicing his golf swing on the field opposite our house. That is so good. Um, um, also, Rob, uh, we'd love to know what the house was like and have a kind of... Yeah. If you could find a Zoopla listing, yeah. it would be ideal. I think... You know how... Bear with me on this. You know Dennis Nielsen, the uh, Crouch End killer, who uh, <laughs> murdered his victims and yeah. put them down the sink? Shaky yeah. start, but yeah. yeah. So that's a house in Crouch End and it's half the value of all the other houses yeah. on the street. Oh, really? I wonder if this is double because it's got the opposite, <laughs> the opposite effect of having an amazing history. Yeah. Right. Do you want to do 90s footballers on social media? Yes, please. When the seagulls follow the trawler, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. Thank you. This, we've done it once. It's taken over. I've got, I've got three in the... Uh, in the parking bays waiting to go on this. That's how excited I am. Can I just say thank you to everyone for how good the correspondence is. Yeah, it's been great. Phil Babb, that one, everything. So, from Kenny Legg. Uh, by the way, we have them backed up. Thank you for all the emails about Neville Southall. We will be coming to him. Yeah, we'll get that. But I, we're waiting to watch how this situation develops before we fully... <laughs> okay. Hello, chaps. Long-time listener, first-time emailer. I thought you might like to know about a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity occurring in Bristol this weekend. Hold fire, this was sent prior to the event happening. Okay, so this was tweeted by uh, the DIY store Gardner Haskins. Tomorrow, at the homeware and DIY store Gardner Haskins, the iconic Dulux dog will be visiting the store, (laughs) DIY department, to greet our customers, pose for selfies, and bring special Dulux paint offers with him too. Who was he joined by, I hear you ask? (laughs) Gary Mabbott. So, so they were doing a kind of day at the Gardner Haskins. Now, we've been sent pictures of this. And basically what it is, is there's three pictures, which we will tweet. They've obviously had a budget for their in-store. 
And they thought we might as well get two celebs rather than one. <laughs> um, look at the pictures. It is the Dulux dog. There's no doubt about it. Picture one is Gary Mabbott sitting on a um, armchair posing with the Dulux dog. <laughs> Behind him is, you know those things where you cut your head out so you can have your face in a photo? Yeah. There's one of them with the Dulux dog. <laughs> but why would you do that with the Dulux dog the when he's there Dulux, anyway? <laughs> the actual Dulux dog is about a foot away. Yeah, who's choosing that? <laughs> then there's a picture of Gary Mabbott sat on a bed throwing a header for a small boy. And then there's a picture of him of signing the same the boy. boy. Same boy. I don't think many turned up. The boy must be 10 has clearly got no idea who Mabbott is. <laughs> um, it's an astonishing event. Also, there's no, there's no one else there. You can see the people who work in the bed store, this kid, a photographer. Do you think he knew someone there? <laughs> he must have Do you known think someone they, they, He's doing it for a fee? I'd rather think it was a favour for a friend. Hang on. Than. I've got a theory. Yeah. He's the manager of the Dulux dog. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Yeah. If you try and book the Dulux dog, Gary comes to <laughs> yeah. stand. And, yeah, and vice versa. <laughs> no, I only wanted Gary Mabbott. You know how you get... Because um, it is a thing, isn't it, that... If you're diabetic and you could slip into a diabetic coma, some people have rescue dogs. <laughs> Get a rescue dog. <laughs> has he got the Dulux dog? Has he a diabetic rescue dog? Right. Joining us now, James Acaster, to discuss the documentary. Well, probably one of the most iconic documentaries of the 90s. Club for Fiverr. We did a clip from it with Ellis James yes. in series one. And the whole thing, I mean, we, we, we've watched a lot of these kind of behind-the-scenes manager documentaries. This is it's an astonishing piece. It's unique in its anger. Yeah. I think that's fair to say. It's, it's arguably the most iconic uh, yeah. of them. And, uh, well, let's see what we thought. Yeah, if that. you haven't seen it yet, don't pause the podcast because we want the listen-through rate. But once you finish listening to the podcast, <laughs> go back and watch it and yeah. then re-listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so this is it, Club for a Fiver with James Acaster. Pair up if you like, and you can fucking pick someone else to help you, and you can bring your fucking dinner. Because by the time I'm finished with you, you'll fucking need it. Welcome to Quickly Kevin Will He Score. James Acaster, hello. Hello, Josh. You are excitingly our first ever guest that doesn't really like football. Yeah, a privilege and a pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, uh, never listened. Yeah, everyone now throwing their phones on the floor is, is listening to this on their, during their commute. Doesn't like football. So what's your relationship with football? Uh, I liked it as a kid. Yeah. Really liked it as a kid. In the 90s, which uh, this podcast about. In the 90s, which is like, yeah, where your heart still resides. Yeah. Uh, and uh, my dad was a Manchester United supporter, so I copied him and yeah. did the same. We lived in Kettering. Uh, he grew up in uh, Aylesbury. He has gone nowhere near Manchester. For <laughs> none of his. Yeah, he didn't go to uni there. No, nothing. No, but is like, there a reason? Uh, it annoyed his dad to do it. <laughs> his, uh, his, his dad. My granddad was a Newcastle United fan, uh, having grown yeah. up there his whole life. Um, and my dad just kind of supported Manchester United because at the time it would wind his dad up, and just did that. And that's now a yeah. genuine fan. And when I so I started supporting. Them, I think 91 was when I started following football yeah. and then which was a very good time to start supporting Manchester yeah, United yeah. <laughs> to just have have one season where it's a bit disappointing and then <laughs> after that it's like yeah. I'm not a glory supporter I was supporting them in 91 <laughs> before, before all of this yeah. so is there any boyhood pictures of you in a Man United kit 
There will be some. I had the blue and white away strip. I was a much bigger... This is just... It really sums me up to a T. I, I liked away strips more than I liked home strips. <laughs> always like always like the obscure stuff. Alternative. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I never... Uh, you know, you could have gone further than, like, the goalie strips. Yeah, I could have... But then you don't want to be the, go- the kid in school who always isn't goal. That's no. just, you've just resigned yourself to the fact that you're not that good at football. Well, the, the, kid, the kid in school who actually bought goalie gloves, like, purchased them and bought them into school, that's like, oh, you have given up already. <laughs> uh, how have you already given up on this? Like, you, you still want to be involved, obviously. You know this is your ticket into it, having the goalie gloves, but... Yeah, Jeez, it's very much Clay. You, you're very much saying I'm at best a character actor rather than the yeah, lead. Yeah, you've got. To, I know that this will guarantee my place in the team, but uh, <laughs> no one, no one really wants me there. But like, I, I was. Uh, so I had the blue and white mention mention trip with uh, Cole on the back. Andy Cole's my yeah. favourite player. Um, we all went and got. Uh, I think me, my brother and sister, and got oh, the, yeah. the, the names yeah. on the back at Old Trafford. Yeah, we had the day out and did the tour. We went around the dressing rooms. Was it exciting? Yeah, I remember the guy. The only thing I remember about the tour of the dressing rooms and the the stadium was uh, a story about the guy said, you know, if anyone's got a problem on the team, uh, Ferguson uh, gets them up and he'll like say, okay, Giggs has got a problem, and he'll tell the whole room the problem, and then everyone knows the problem, and then he just sits down. <laughs> oh, no, that's not true, is it? And that's what he told us at the time. <laughs> I uh, that you retain that knowledge, very yeah, specific. But like. I retain that, and also like what I what I know looking back at myself now is that I like stories more than I like sports. So uh, that's why I retained that story. Yeah, it's just the only story probably told on the whole tour, and I've retained that as a thirty-two year old now. And like I stopped supporting Manchester United in the year two thousand. Uh, because the season before was the best story, the best real-life true story yeah, I've yeah. ever followed in my life. Like, there was so much in the narrative that was perfect. There was, you know, whatever it had been when Hansler said you don't win anything with kids, and then you had them winning the treble with kids. It was perfect. You had, you know, Solskjaer and Sheringham scoring in last minute. Sheringham had been taunted by everyone, you know, scoring the goals in, the last, in, in both finals. Yeah. Um, Cole had been seen as a waste of time for ages and then they got York in and the two of them were suddenly unstoppable. <laughs> and it was just like such a perfect narrative and all these different players as well. It was like, I really liked the Mighty Ducks films as kids. <laughs> and like, really loved those movies. Yeah. And like, I loved how everyone, every single character had their moment in the Mighty Ducks. They all had a, a part to play in the films. And this season was like, you know... It was everybody, like yeah, Carol Paborski had a little bit where he did well, and like everybody, Yap Stam, and yeah, you know, David May, who didn't really do anything for the whole season, but when they won, he was almost like the master of ceremonies uh, <laughs> with, with the crowd. Like, he got up and he put his fingers to his lips, and the whole stadium went quiet, and 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 each player took it in turns to lift the trophy and get a cheer, and May was like conducting this, and it's like <laughs> now you're doing something, you, you, you fuck all, all season, mate, and like it was just like everybody had a moment where they, they, they got to shine yeah. and I just loved it so much yeah. Beckham into Sheringham and Solskjaer has won it champions of Europe again and nobody will ever win a European Cup final more dramatically than this you know obviously looking back 
they were Manchester United they weren't underdogs and yeah <laughs> for me it felt like you know it felt like that and players and who so were normally quit. on the bench you know, huh? and so you quit I quit well the next season I was like I love football so much I, I love football I can't wait for this season and then I remember Ferguson bought a load of players uh, and he just benched them and I remember watching it and being like oh it's just and then we was oh he's just bought these players that everyone wanted so that everyone else can't have them and now he's put them on the bench and that's all these oh this is rubbish and I, I just kind of didn't like it also there wasn't anything it wasn't like you know or what, what Mighty Ducks did well is that, <laughs> is that every time they up the stakes so it's like first of all they're just a team and then it's like they're doing the world championship so it's always they're out of yeah. their depth I mean, Manchester United it's like you've won the treble and now you're just doing the same yeah. tournaments again and I already know you can do it. There's no, like, you know, you haven't been entered into the World Cup as, like, a wild card. <laughs> you know, like, I, 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 you know, it's, it's just like, you're either going to win them all again or the only way is down. I, and also, like, I yeah, mention everyone. I asked Jack D why he wasn't into football. Yeah. And he said, well, I was, when I was a teenager, I just thought, this is never going to end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah, this, this to, yeah. that feeling. It's going to be no conclusion. But I felt like it had. So I was like, that's the perfect end to the film. Roll credits. <laughs> and I was like, you can't follow it up. You, you can't do Terminator 2. Like, An ex-girlfriend it... of mine said, uh, I'm so angry with you with football because like, like Sex and the City has ended, but football will never end. Yeah. <laughs> it's what it's like. And it's like, I was just like, no. Nah. They brought football back for some disappointing movies. <laughs> yeah. Also, I think, I mean, obviously for ages, he was supposed to retire, Ferguson. But that year was like, he was meant to retire. And he didn't. And I remember that being like, what? <laughs> like, get it, no, you've done it now. Retire, get a new guy in who isn't good. Maybe Emilio Estevez. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, give Estevez a call. Get him in. Let, let us lose everything and then I'll be into it again. Like, I would have really liked it if, like, you know. But it's a, it's, a, you know, it's a shock that I didn't get into actually supporting Kevin Town FC, you know, if I'm from Kevin. Because I yeah. should have got into them because they got relegated twice in one season <laughs> due to financial difficulties. They went down two divisions. Yeah. I should have got into them and liked yeah. it. But. Oh. Um, um, the question we always ask is, have you ever met a 90s footballer or any footballer? Yeah. I, uh, so at the time of supporting Manchester United, I got autographs from Andy Cole. Oh, yeah. Eric Cantona. Yeah. What was he like? Just, just got the job done. <laughs> but we went. And I remember waiting for ages for them to come out of training and these people from Manchester nearby hearing us talking to each other, me, my brother and sister, and then calling us posh. And going, <laughs> well, you poshos coming, what are you coming over here for? And all this, and we're just like three little kids <laughs> just wanting to meet our heroes. And uh, yeah, they all just came out, just signed it all, got in the car, and I, I already decided I've got to get Andy Cole. Yeah. So I was... You know, very surprised that I managed to get Can- like Cantona was a real bonus. Like it was, yeah. I was turning around and he was just there. And I you know, oh, just in- wow. instinctively hand your notebook to him. Um, don't know where those autographs are. Actually, no, I do know where those autographs are. They're in a photo album because I also had a disposable camera with me. Oh, so yeah. while they were signing them, I got a photo of them. But so one I've of those got- photos where you're not in it. Yeah, because it's just pre selfie. Yeah, pre selfie. So you just, I mean, back then you would have been an absolute lunatic. <laughs> If, 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 if I'd held the camera out and got in with Cantona and taken a photo, everyone would have been just like, invented the selfie. Yeah, what's that posh boy doing? <laughs> be like Back to the Future when he plays Johnny B. Good. Everyone would have been, what the hell is that? I'd have been like, guess you guys aren't ready for this yet, but <laughs> your, your kids are going to love it. 
but uh, yeah, I've got, I've got those. And then I met more recently. I think last year I met Darren Anderton on the on the tube. Ooh, we've we've just interviewed Darren. Anderton. Sat in that very yeah. seat you're sat in a few weeks yeah. ago. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, he probably won't remember our encounter, <laughs> but he absolutely didn't like it because uh, no, I was walking along and some and something fell on me in in the tube, and I turned around and he dropped his uh, suitcase, his wheelie oh, yeah. suitcase, and it went into the back of me. So I picked it up, but I didn't see who it was until I handed it to him, and yeah. we were face to face. And I was like, Anderton, like that. <laughs> Said Anderton, and he, he just did. Did you think about that, or did that just happen, like knee jerk? Yeah, because it was like I looked at him, and then you realise it's someone. And obviously, what your brain originally does is you go, "I've met this guy before." You think yeah, that yeah. I went to school with him or something, and then you realise. So I just blurted out Anderton because it was it was him. <laughs> And then he kind of looked quietly like, oh, and then kind of walked away. He was clearly in a rush with a yeah. windy suitcase. <laughs> didn't really want a guy right in his face saying his surname to him, he didn't know. Um, but uh, could have called him sick note, that could have been worse. <laughs> yeah, that would have been worse. But that's one of the things where like, my dad would always, so every time Anderton was on TV, would call him sick note. And so it's just embedded <laughs> in my head that that was his nickname. It's, just, it's crazy because I don't, Follow football anymore? Just the things that I rem- that my brain has retained. Yeah, so, yeah. so Darren Anderton is called Sick Note is in there. Uh, Carol Paborski doing the chip in Euro '96 yeah. is in there forever. Yeah. So there's this like little moments that are like <laughs> that's my favourite things about watching the, the things that I love the yeah. most. Um, Galatasaray will never leave my mind. <laughs> like oh. that sounds like a, a song from the sixties. Yeah. Galatasaray will never leave my mind <laughs> for, for all the wrong reasons. Uh, Welcome to hell. That's what I remember. Yeah. The, the banner that said Welcome to hell. Um, Cantona jumping into the crowd and kicking someone with his studs. What, what game was that? Crystal Palace away, I think. Yeah, because yeah, in my mind that's Galatasaray because I, <laughs> I, I I've merged them together. Because that's things. what they deserve. Yeah, that yeah. He should, have, he should have Welcome done it there. And... and he's just goes, do you know what? I'm not going to take it anymore. <laughs> just jumped in and studied someone in the chest. Much. Yeah. What was weird is I was brought up as a kid to be like, you know, very, very well behaved. And none, but even as a kid, when he did that, I remember thinking he was cool. That <laughs> <laughs> he jumped in and studied someone in the chest. And I was like, why? Because like, they, they were giving him abuse. It's like, good on him. <laughs> Shouldn't be taking shit from everybody. He did it and he got banned. Good on him. <laughs> did, did, did his time. Now, uh, yes, so little bit of context. There's a documentary called Club for a Fiver. It deals with John Sitton's time at Leighton Orient. We have all watched this documentary. Yeah. And now let's dissect it minute by minute. Um, I think we should begin with the central character, John Sitton. James, a, a very angry man, would you say? Thing is, though, justifiably angry. So what I found was, it's like watching Kirby Enthusiasm. I sided with him all the way, despite <laughs> <laughs> despite anything. So like, I was like, oh, I'm completely on your side here. Yeah. Like, of course you're angry. And also, angry, but not, not losing it in a way that I was like, this guy needs help. <laughs> I wasn't like, oh, he needs to really like pull himself together. I was like, yeah, completely justified. <laughs> of course, you're being humiliated by your players, and actually, you're reining it in to some degree. You're still like, you know. I thought there was an underlying, like I got to the end and I thought I haven't seen him smile. Yeah, like there's. I know he smiled. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a few jokes on the phone with people and stuff. <laughs> He'd make little jokes uh, every yeah. now and again, like, you know, about... When he was on the phone in his office, so there's him and his co-manager or assistant, yeah. Chris Turner. Yeah. And my favourite detail about their office is they sit either side of a desk. 
that is too big for the office. <laughs> <laughs> so they're both kind of Crammed they've in. had to shimmy in between the desk and the wall. Both like pins to the wall. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Turner's having to sit at ninety degrees to the desk. Ironically, unable to turn. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I have to say as well. The, the whole vibe, the start of it, I thought was really ominous. Like it's when you watch a horror movie, like he's yeah. sat there wearing those Magnum yeah. PI yeah, glasses. Yeah, yeah, and you, yeah. you know, I knew the headlines that he has a couple of meltdowns in this documentary, but you can't, there's a sense like something bad is going to happen yeah, over yeah. the course it's of the next 15 minutes. It's not dissimilar from that opening scene in Falling Down where Michael yeah. Douglas is just in the car. <laughs> but it's slowly zoomed in on his face. And just, yeah. <laughs> so to give some background, I looked at this was a, a film student yeah. For her final year, did this documentary about Leighton Orient. No like way! Whole, Channel 4, yeah. Wow! So it starts, we start on John Sitton, who's, he's doing a press conference, it starts with. And in within the press conference, he say, you, they say something, he says, yeah, but you've got to be positive in front of the players. Kind of underlining that if the players hear that, they know that he's not for real. Yeah. And throughout it, he's unremittingly negative in front of the players. Absolutely. Like, there's a no, nothing well, inspiring about him. I thought the first team talk at 3 minutes 10, is, in terms of positivity, his highlight, really, I thought yeah. it was a decent team talk. He goes, yeah, come on, we can win this. And I was like, oh, are they going to start well? Obviously, they don't. Yeah. So it's like, I thought it wasn't a terrible team talk. I thought he had to, you know, it was a little yeah. bit optimistic. But all the little comes down to one thing. Motivation comes from where? It comes from within. You've got, when you cross that white line, you've got to stand up, you've got to be counted, you've got to be an individual, you've got to be a warrior, you've got to say, I'm not going to let myself get beat by my opposite number. I am going to be top man today. I'm going to be the daddy. I'm going to have too much in my locker for you, defensively and from an attacking point of view. And if you do that, I guarantee, I guarantee we'll come back in this dressing room at the end of 90 minutes plus with a result. With a result. Basically, you start and they're in the relegation zone. We're not to ruin it. Yeah. They stay throughout the, <laughs> the, the, the documentary. And it starts with a team talk where he says, this is a big game. We've also got big games coming up against Brentford, Bradford. And you're like, mate, it's 10 minutes before this game. Yeah. Concentrate on one thing at a time. Don't like... Don't like go, you think this is bad? In a few weeks, we've got all the big teams in the division coming up. We're in serious <laughs> trouble. I think he... I felt sorry for him throughout, really. Yeah, yeah. completely empathised with him for the whole thing. He's just tried his best, and also, from what I gather, he's trained them to do a certain thing, and then they get on the pitch, and they just don't <laughs> yeah, do it. Right, yeah. So, like, it must be very frustrating if every week you're going, right, here's the plan. Do we all know the plan? They're like, yeah. And then they go on and go, oh, I'm not doing that. <laughs> That is the implication that he's told yeah. them to do things. Like, well, one they don't says, back, do they? he says, I told you to stand in a line, and you yeah. didn't. Yeah, <laughs> you like, didn't do. <laughs> standing in the line, um, how difficult can that be? Uh, however, 6 minutes 49, Tiverton in the cup. They yeah. win 3-1. The dressing room afterwards. I mean, they're, they're all in bits. Yeah. And he's hammering them again. Yeah, well, they're in trouble again, because they weren't doing... They won, but not the way he wanted them to. Because <laughs> yeah. they'd still played badly, from what I gather. Yeah, this they, Tiverton had just been even worse. But this was their first away win in a year. Yeah, yeah. And it feels like a morgue. Yeah, like there's yeah. A, there's at no point that there's any this sense of kind of positivity mm. or hope. No, well the players walk in dejected. Yeah, and if you hadn't seen the scoreboard prior to that, you mm. would think that they'd just been humiliated by these underdogs. Yeah, during yeah. his bollocking, I genuinely paused and went back <laughs> just to, <laughs> to the scoreboard. <laughs> So I thought, oh, I thought they were like, but then they must be Tiverton. 
<laughs> what is, it must be a documentary about Tiverton because they're getting right dressing down now for what I think is winning a game. But like, it can't be. It can't be that. Well, I think during during that dressing down, he says the word "fucking" at least fifteen times. Yeah. He uses it as like an adjective. A yeah. noun, a verb, all within yeah. the same paragraph. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, the guy he singles out in the corner of the dressing room and says, You'll be fucking replaced. Yeah. <laughs> like, what have you got to do, John, <laughs> we, when you're over? Anything, John? <laughs> Could be it all fucking eight. Well, I know it's. I'll stop. Best word I can think of to describe some of your performances is naive. Naive. Defensively, we were fucking shocking. But the class of opposition should have been really obliterated. What I will fucking guarantee you is this, I'm fucking telling you. And I'll fucking front any one of you. If you think you can fuck with me and my career and give me and him heart attacks on the touchline, you'll be replaced. If you think you can go out there and play the game how you think you want to fucking play it, not how the team is going to play and how me and him want you to play it so that we win, you'll be fucking replaced. It's really horrible because... What I felt about it is it really brings home to how these footballers at that level, and you find out later that they're earning about 35 grand a year, right, which yeah. is quite good. Top like, earnings. Yeah, it's good. Executive money, yeah. But yeah, and um, you realise how much their jobs are hanging by a thread every Saturday. Yeah. And when you're a football fan, you don't realise that this is these people's jobs. Mm. Yeah. He's basically threatening them that they won't be able to pay the mortgage if they don't yeah. go out and win. Yeah. <laughs> you're... you're... <laughs> Your wives are going to leave you, and everything's it's always it's over. If you don't do what stand in a line. <laughs> if you don't stand in a line, it's over. Very simple. Yeah. Stand in a line, and you'll get yeah. your money every week. But he docks their wages at one point, doesn't he? Yeah. That's a week's wages gone. You're like, what? They <laughs> didn't know you could do that. They still got to come to work, unpaid. There's no other job. When I went to Waterstones, they never went, that's your week's wages gone. Yeah. I, I frequently don't do my job very well yeah. as a comedian. <laughs> never once have anyone refused to pay me. I've sometimes looked at them and thought, I can't believe you're paying me after that. It's, there's two kind of relationships. There's the one which is his... Well, there's three. There's the relationship with the players that is kind of unremittingly bleak. There's the one with the press... Yeah. So early on, you see a press conference where he's he's got the same down. He's not any more chipper in the press conference. The really weird thing that happens one early in the press conference, he's sat there, he's talking, and he goes, "But it's not about them. It's about these guys." And then he just turns around yeah, the picture of his oh. three kids. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, which is such a move because, like, obviously, if you would be like, "Was that a youth team?" No. I, I, <laughs> You're, you're bringing your own kids into it and also that's a framed picture yeah. like it's not like he gets his wallet out yeah, yeah. there's a photo that's in the in the window of the wallet it, it's it just goes it, so he's got that but also he brings it up like he's not he doesn't reach over and, and take it from someone <laughs> so clearly for the whole interview he's got it in his hand <laughs> so oh, he's sitting there holding it and then he goes because he, he's, he's already got that in his head that I'm going to bring these kids up at some yeah. point because he's saying that these are the people who really suffer Yeah, I think that's even the major yeah. line you know he says press conference it feels a bit like you know one of those press conferences when kids have gone missing <laughs> do you watch that with the sound off yeah, yeah. oh god John Sitton's children have gone missing three kids <laughs> straight after the game 
Yeah, it's not about the results. Have you seen these three? Because yeah. Anyway, I should have brought this up before the game, but it's worth saying that press conference as well. There's not enough people to warrant the setup. They're at one end yeah. with a desk, and there's two guys in a chair. You don't need to set it up like a press conference. Just sit around. Like why have they yeah, made making it well, they've formal? Put in, they've put him also in front of their very small trophy cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> they've got a trophy cabinet that's, you know, most teams have like a room or whatever. It's the yeah. size of like a small dresser. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they should be asking has gone missing. Where's our trophies? <laughs> Honestly, we had more than this. <laughs> My three kids have done one with them. And, and then it gets doubly bleak because then you bring in the real problem of the whole story, which is his club is falling apart financially. And that is happening. <laughs> do we want to do this? Yeah, yeah. Because it's the biggest twist of the lot is when his chairman reveals... The, the reason he's had to put the club up to sale for five pounds. Yeah. Anyone listening to this, pause at the podcast at this point. Watch the watch it yourself because nothing beats actually discovering yeah. <laughs> as you're watching it what happens. Yeah. So this guy is in financial trouble because he had a business in Rwanda. Yeah. And and the Rwandan war has started, and that has indirectly led to the relegation of Leighton Orient he's, cra- he's crazy that is chaos theory at play I, yeah. I wondered how rich he was though because at one point he's answering the phones yeah, so, <laughs> yeah but uh, but that that absolutely smacked of something they just did for the documentary because he is answering the phones like he's never used a phone before <laughs> so like it's completely like this, this, this like eccentric old man answering phones and patching people through and stuff like that and like so is he the guy that's answering hello late and orient yeah. yes oh right yeah, yeah. because there the is club. this problem with the documentary that it never says who anyone is so you have yeah. to try and work it out yeah so that bit where he was doing the reception yeah I thought well it can't be the chairman yeah I thought I, the same it, I thought it was just like a local character yeah, that yeah. looks like the chairman <laughs> no, the reception yeah. and my favourite detail of that one is he starts telling an anecdote after he's fucked up the patching through the phone and then three quarters of the way through the anecdote the phone rings and he doesn't finish he goes hello late in Orient and then it just cuts it. away and it yeah, cuts away he doesn't finish the, doesn't finish doesn't the story, finish the story. <laughs> you've missed a great moment that he reveals that when he first said he would sell the club for a fiver it was because a club call journalist rang him oh, up oh yeah which oh, means yeah. the club call had journalists going out looking for scoops you, do you know what club call is Joe? no so do you, if you went on teletext as a kid yeah the final pages would be numbers that you could phone for each club that would have like rumours right about the club but they'd be like 49p a minute yeah and that was club it was basically a a premium phone line for football fans right and this guy's leaked it to the premium phone line for Leighton Orient (laughs) that he'd sell the club for a fiver which he says is a joke he says it started as a joke and then became a real thing. <laughs> like he said, oh, I said it, oh, well, I said it as a joke to someone, and then uh, I thought, oh. <laughs> but it would do that. So, uh, the reason I heard about this documentary is the footage of John sitting in the dressing room is kind of renowned as the worst manager flipping out. Right, okay. In the dressing room. The first time you see that is about a quarter of an hour in when they come in and they're 3 0 down, and someone throws down a bottle, yep. and they're, they're all angry. And then Sitton comes in, and then there's an amazing moment where you just hear one of the players out of shot, who's clearly gone over to the tea. Yeah, yeah. And you just see him go, has that one got sugar in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> I can't believe they're all doing the tease. Isn't, it? isn't it half time or something? Yeah. And they're all just like, they're 3-0 down or something. Yeah. They're doing really badly and they have the nerve to go and make, make themselves a brew. <laughs> you're like, what are you doing? Has <laughs> anyone got any biscuits? Because <laughs> you, you get the impression watching it that the players could not give a shit how the team does. Yeah. Like, I don't think they care at all. So when they're throwing the bottles down, it's so like, Clearly not real. <laughs> yeah. So like, well, we're going to get told off, and we better make out to him that we care as well. So they're they're like, oh, oh. <laughs> like, again. Oh, I hate losing. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, no, you don't. And that's why he's so angry because he's looking around the room, going, these guys could not care less, and I've got to make them care by having a go at them. And yeah. it's not even like obviously I don't know watching into it. I didn't know it was meant to be like one of the biggest dressing downs in history. So yeah. like I I for the whole thing I was like, "Yep, yeah, absolutely." I haven't watched the game even. You know, I have just seen that I know they're down 3-0. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, "Yeah, of course he's angry because before the game he gave them loads of encouragement." And then they've gone out and absolutely not cared, not done what he's asked them to do, uh, you know, not got yeah. not stood in a line and all that stuff. And then, and, then, and then they're coming back pretending to be at cross and making themselves a cup of tea. And, <laughs> Of course he's going to be like, what the fuck, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, we'd all be effing and jeffing in his shoes. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I do agree. The f- first brilliant halftime rant, uh, look, can we listen to the first one, which is at 1832, where he tells them they're worthless. And when I was listening to it, I was thinking, if I was like trying to get into RADA, this would be a great monologue to do. <laughs> <laughs> Because none of you except for those two have done anything to justify the fucking money that you earn. None of you. You're a fucking disgrace. Fuck the technical shit. It's down to this. It's down to this. I can hear a man in there with a voice like mine Monday. It means something to him. He's fucking scored nil winning 2-0 and he's chased him 40 yards to get underneath him and win a ball. Who's matched them for that? No one. No one. I, I do agree with him though. 100% but... yeah but like I like how he's just like he singles out two people who have done well let's know yeah. oh, apart from you two I do you know well what done. if I was in the dressing room and I was singled out as one of the two I would actually find that more embarrassing <laughs> I'd absolutely love it <laughs> <laughs> don't know how the two of us managed to stand in a line just the two of us but we did it <laughs> parallel for the whole uh, the whole first half I'll be coming back at me when I'm shouting at you above the crowd and above the next crowd because right. I run this fucking football club until I'm told otherwise by the fucking circus upstairs and if you come back at me you'll be off the field and you'll be following Terry down the road you come and see me and worry you've got a fortnight's notice because that performance is the straw that broke the camel's back and that will be not, not be tolerated in this dressing room while I'm in charge with Chris Turner. That is the fucking straw that broke the camel's back. That is typical fucking late Norrie. Sits you're too intense, you're fucking this, you're that, no one can talk to you. I never fucking followed two good games over fucking game like that. The reason I was intense because I wanted to play well again and I'm wasting my breath on something. I'm wasting my breath on something. What did I say to you about good players? They want to be good players all the time. Don't you know how profound that is if you're not examining the fucking words? Because you've had two good performances and you think, I'm fucking Bertie Big Bollocks tonight. I'll fucking play how I like. But you won't play how you like, because if you play how you like, I'll fucking stick the youth to you. Because if I'm going to take abuse from a bunch of cockroaches behind me, I'll take abuse by doing it my way. 
and that is fucking conformity, not fucking non-conformity. So you, you little cunt, when I tell you to do something, and you, you fucking big cunt, when I tell you to do something, do it. And if you come back at me, we'll have a fucking right sort out of here. Alright? And you can pair up if you like, and you can fucking pick someone else to help you, and you can bring your fucking dinner. Because by the time I'm finished with you, you'll fucking need it. Do you fucking hear what I'm saying or not? You see me in the morning. Um, what I love about the rant, and what is you don't see the match, yeah. and then you see, so at full time it's still 3-0, yeah. and you realise, so Sitton comes in and then he's had this total kind of about change from the rant, oh, yeah. where oh, he's yeah. obviously felt bad. You know like when you have an argument with someone, and then you have to make up with yeah, them? And then you, yeah, and he, know, he knows he was in the wrong. I felt like someone had maybe said, I think the second half was the team still playing like utter dog shit while he sits there and someone kind of came up to him and went I don't have a word you can't talk to them like that <laughs> you're going to be in a lot of trouble if you keep on doing that yeah. like I know I know they're playing badly now but if you do this again afterwards we might have a problem on our hands so <laughs> what, just the person from HR yeah yeah just no matter I've what, had a couple of complaints about the, what you were saying yeah, we, we, we don't like can you, okay please just listen to me and get the photo of your kids out of my face I need to talk to you <laughs> That's yeah. the, that's also the bit where he um, can we just listen from twenty minutes thirty because there's a bit where he gets confused with the English language. Oh yeah, but do you know what? He gets confused with the English language in a really coy way, like oh, oh, oh I made a little mistake there, didn't I? Yeah, we're all friends now. <laughs> you just think N- no. Something you might not realise when when it is you've got a friend in the game, <clears throat> or in this case two, but try and realise when it is you've got a friend in the game. And when what's said sometimes is said for the benefit of yourselves, whether it be constructive, abrasive, derogatory, praisingly. Is there such a word? I don't know. There's, there's no. Anyway, I'll take a chance. It's all for your benefit. <laughs> That's quite a sweet moment, I think. Yeah. yeah. He allows himself to be vulnerable. Also, like, at that point, I think, because the whole rant he does at half time it's him basically kind of saying to them everyone's telling me I should get rid of you guys and get new kids in and and, and, bring, and bring up people who aren't going to cost as much money and he's basically obviously stuck his neck out for this team and said no I'm going to stick with these guys I believe in them and they're coming to make him look like an idiot so he's kind of saying to them look people are telling me to get rid of you and maybe they're right now because what is this and then, and then he, but he's still at the end going no I do like these guys and so he's trying to be nice and going oh God, you know yeah. Do you know what? Like, just, just know that you have got a friend, and I'm your friend. Like, he's trying to say, look, I do care about you, and I want you to do well, and that's why I'm, I'm shouting. And so you kind of see the reason why I like him still by the end is because the whole thing he's just trying to believe in these people, people who don't seem to care <laughs> about how he feels. <laughs> there's there's a point where he says that he's turned down jobs. Yeah. I mean, they're not uh, the most glamorous jobs. Kuwait under twenty ones, coach. Turn that down. The thing about Kuwait is there's a point when I think, are we going to tick off every major 90s war throughout this documentary? <laughs> Literally be like uh, that bit in the office which goes, Taplo, winner. Let's <laughs> 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 them off for Kuwait, it. Bosnia. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've got my Serbia. Yeah. But, but then he, he does highlight, you know, it's better paid jobs. So he's highlighting that, you know, he's turning yeah. down better paid jobs to stay at this club because there's no money at this club the next yeah. just in a minute then you find out they can't even afford the bus 
Yeah. The team coach yeah. to the next match. Yeah. Now, if we're going to mark down the artistic merit of this documentary, I'd say we'd mark it down because of the two-minute sequence where he's on the phone to a coach company for seemingly no reason. Very <laughs> difficult to unpick. This. Well, there's about a two-minute section there, but they're just filming him in his office on the phone. Yeah. And it's like, why? Remember him being on the phone? I, 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 the fire alarm is going off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in the background. He makes a joke about it every time, though. <laughs> That's when he's smiling. You get that thing where the woman comes in and they talk about whether they're going to pay for the coach and she has to pay. That's my pay by check that might bounce. Yeah. Which is a lovely 90s moment. Yeah. yeah. A Leighton Orient check being written out for a coach trip because they don't trust them to pay them afterwards. <laughs> um, and then you get to the big famous rant. And then within this, he fires one of his best friends in football. <laughs> he doesn't fire him. He just goes, he doesn't like, he just gives him his notice. Two yeah. weeks, and then they cut. One of those it. weeks is a fine as well. For the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You basically have him doing this speech about firing his friend. That I'd say is the saddest moment of the documentary by a distance. Yeah, but still articulate. Yeah, <laughs> I think he's very. I think for for someone in his position, especially at that, you know, a nineties football manager, he is surprisingly in touch with his emotions. <laughs> And he's very good at articulating his feelings. Almost too in touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm reading a very, very good book for the second time. Bobby Robson. It's about his eight years in charge of of England. And in the book he says many, many things. One of which is, I'm not in the game to make friends. And Terry's an ex-teammate of mine. Who I like very, very much. As a person. He's got a tremendous sense of humour. It's good company when you go for a night out. But as a manager and a coach, is not what I'm looking for. And I've got to make, uh, along with Chris, a decision that will hopefully affect the future well-being of us as a pair and of this football club and the first team. So I may have lost a friend. By tomorrow, I would have recovered. But obviously... That's what the sort of weird thing is, is that he's taken, I'm not here to make friends. You go, no, but you've already made a friend. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like you're trying to win people over. Yeah. I mean, you probably, you probably aren't here to lose friends either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think Bobby Robson says... Just saying, stay at the same number. I think Bobby, yeah, Bobby Robson says... <laughs> I got into football because I wanted to lose all my friends. <laughs> I just need to burn some bridges <laughs> to people who have meant a lot to me over the yeah. years. And I, and I... Yeah. Then you get to the point, this is when the whole documentary changes. They sell the club to Barry Hearn. Well, where's yes. Barry Hearn? Uh, not before this documentary, I was not aware of Barry Hearn. What did you make of him? <laughs> Didn't really like the cut of his jib. He, um, <laughs> he, he's again. It just seemed like someone whose heart wasn't really in the club. Like sitting is absolutely lives and breathes the club. And yeah. this guy comes in and you go. I love going, how much you love John. Yeah, Sitter. really love sitting for the whole thing. Really rooting for him. Uh, and then was there any point when you thought he might win? No. <laughs> But only because I just felt no one was in his corner. So, like, you know, I was like, the, the team aren't going to do what he's told them. He's yeah. telling them what to do. They're not listening to him. Everyone else is just ready to put his head on the chopping block at the first opportunity. He's just not stand a chance. Because Barry Hearn comes in. I've met Barry Hearn. He's a kind of very impressive person when you meet him. Mm. The only person that I can compare who I've met who had the same kind of aura was Alistair Campbell. That yeah. kind of very alpha walks in... Yep. owns the room he's a very charming man 
well, should I say? Well, his first press conference, every moment up until this point, the press conferences have been shambles, held yeah. by people who cannot hold court. Yeah. Barry Hearn turns up, he's like he's reading a script. Like he's yeah. orating to the room. Yeah. And suddenly it's packed. That I thought when Barry Hearn turned up, I just thought, showbiz. Yeah. He just yeah. he just oozes class. Sovereign rings, big diamond watches. Sovereign rings, mm. ooze class. Ooze class. <laughs> Still in a very nineties way though, so like still like if if he was acting like that now, he'd seem like an absolute amateur. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but then it was like people weren't really saying the sort of sentences he was coming out with. So him going, you know, this Chris Club's losing uh, ten grand. Was it ten grand a ten grand a week? A week, and he went. Hey, if you know anything about me, you know that I don't like you losing ten grand a week. I actually don't like losing any money. Yeah, I tell you, I, uh, I, I, and that line is like like. I tell you what he speaks like back then. He speaks like you could cut up a lot of his press conference and use it in that. You know the opening montage at the start of episode one of The Apprentice? When yeah. You, when, you're, when you're meeting the characters. I, I eat profit for breakfast, lunch, yeah, and yeah. dinner. What's everything he says? He says, uh, I'm not going to tell you my plans. If I did tell you, you'd think I was absolutely insane. <laughs> you, you'd think I was crazy if I told you my plans. And it's like, probably not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Get promoted. Yeah. Well, one of his plans is he turned part of Leighton Orange Ground into flats. Is that one of his plans? <laughs> Yeah, to be yeah. fair, you wouldn't think it was crazy. <laughs> um, so thirty nine fourteen, there's a chant of sitting out. Oh, that's a bleep. But, but what's what's weird about it is the crowd isn't big enough. Like in Premier League games, when you, when you're the crowd yeah. chanting from manager out, it's almost anonymous when the crowd's massive. But when there's the rows only go like ten rows behind John Sitton and they're shouting sitting out, it's too personal almost. It yeah, really it feels like really targeted, mm. and it you realise how awful it must be to be in that stadium as John Sitton. Mm. And, and the whole thing throughout it when he talks about his kids and like giving people their notice you realise this is just a job this is his job this is his livelihood in a way that it isn't for a Premier League manager yeah. feel, it feels very real it feels like I've wanted people to be sacked as Plymouth manager and you suddenly you forget forget the human side guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. no but you do forget like that this is a guy yeah. who's basically like this is his job yeah. and if you were having a run of bad gigs and then people started shouting you should quit comedy yeah it, it would be like yeah. we, all, we all want you to quit yeah. <laughs> I mean just just to play devil's advocate there they are in the relegation yeah game, they right? are doing Their really bad is appalling like, yeah. as nice as the man as he might be listen he's you've incompetent had <laughs> he's from in... the start of this podcast I was, you've been there. Against him. I was there at the ground sitting out <laughs> but he like he says at one point during I can't remember where but he says we've gone six league games without scoring a goal from what I'm led to believe. Like, you're the manager of the football club. Surely you're the person that should know when the last Rumour has it. Yes. Rumour has it. Okay, Rumour has it. There's a division below this one that we're, we're in danger of slipping into. Yeah, I, I will admit that he's doing Word really bad. Word um, so the final act 43 minutes they lose 2-0 home to Brentford and this is the moment where I'm depressed could I just say on a similar level when they're the, before the final game when they've already been relegated yes and it's the team talk and he genuinely says to the team you may or may not know we've already been relegated yeah and you're like surely they know if they don't know <laughs> shut oh, your mouth yeah, yeah. don't tell them now before they go on <laughs> All the morale sucked out of that dressing room. <laughs> but they say, play for yourselves. Yeah. In that talk. It's like, that's all they've got left at that point. It's like, Joe, at least do it for yourselves. Like, I don't know how else to encourage you at this point. You don't seem to want to do it for me. You don't want to do it to the... You don't, I mean, you don't seem to want to do this at all. So let me 
just give you the only people that you do seem to care about and that is yourselves so at least do it for you I'll put my photo of my kids away you, you couldn't care less about them do it for yourselves please and then even then that's what's great about it do it for yourselves guys and then just jump cut to 2-0 they've lost that's how much they care about themselves they um then he's basically about to get sacked he knows he's about to get sacked yeah the bleakest detail of that is he's sat at his desk waiting to go and meet Barry Fry and Barry Hearn like, Barry Hearn sorry and the most heartbreaking detail is on his desk is um you, do you remember when you used to get the easter egg with the free mug yeah <laughs> he's, no, he hasn't, has he? he's got a mug a Snickers mug <laughs> and in it is an easter egg which has got the silver foil to make it look like a football <laughs> oh no <laughs> Did he get fired on Easter Sunday? <laughs> was it actually on? So the seat, but that, it's on his that, desk. Is that the end of the season? Yeah, but then it's around April, isn't it? Yo, don't worry. You might be getting fired now. You'll rise again in three days, <laughs> or uh, <laughs> however long it was. <laughs> well, and then forty-six forty, John Sitton addresses the dressing room, and he says, "Thank you very much." And he's sincere, I think. And he yeah. says, "It's a let's beautiful hope, speech. Let's hope we get another chance down the line." It's really sweet, and that's what's forgotten in the big two clips of the big rants. There is a humanity there, and it, yeah. he is a nice guy. Yeah. Well, what, what I would have liked is because we haven't like addressed some of the biggest insults that he gave them earlier on. But I would have liked it if at the end, when he was doing his heartfelt speech, if he kind of still addressed people by those names he'd given them. So if he's still like, I want to thank everyone in the room for backing me up, and all the training staff, all the players, uh, little cunt, <laughs> big cunt, you meant a lot to me. <laughs> I miss you both, guys. Uh, Water under the bridge. Uh, <laughs> what did you think of the big insult, the insults that he gave? Uh, I think, like, calling someone a little cunt was, like, it was pretty harsh, but whatever. The guy's clearly been playing silly buggers the whole game. And then it's when he then has to insult someone else and he realises that what he's essentially done is he's used the C-bomb really early on. <laughs> but now he's about to address, some, address someone who's done an even worse job at the game. And so he goes, oh, where can I go from here? <laughs> I've called him a little cunt. And he goes, oh, I've got to call him a big cunt. <laughs> like, that is all I, I can do. medium cunt. Like, yeah, yeah. You've got to save the C word for the player who's been the worst one. <laughs> I'm going to this yeah. guy. Yeah. I'm using it up. Luckily, I used the word little before yeah. it. So I have given myself somewhere to go. Yeah. But uh, the insults, yeah, you know, is, again, it's people who just haven't been doing their job at all. And it's football. From what I gather in football... You know, if you haven't been playing very well and you're a passionate manager, they're going to... Yeah. I mean, don't you know you're going to get short shrift? I don't know. But I'm, I'm, <laughs> short now, shrift. But now I'm, I'm a bit like, you know, someone who comes up to a comic and goes, you expect a bit of heckling, don't you? So yeah. like, I, I, feel, I feel like that now. Someone who knows yeah. nothing about football, figure they expect a bit of a bit of a slagging off in the half-time. Did you feel John Sitton was fair to his players? Well, I, this goes back to a problem I have this documentary on, on a formal level, is that <laughs> you are cast adrift as a viewer with no sense whatsoever <laughs> of what's going on like, sure. there's no context yeah. like I don't know where they are in the league I know they're in trouble I don't know what that match means are they playing someone that's in the relegation zone with yeah. them mm. so you're just left to sort of join the I think we, I think we can guess mm. they're not doing well <laughs> it's, like, it's like the Steve Jobs movie when it's all it's all done like behind the scenes you know where he's just backstage at these theatres and then as soon as he walks on stage it cuts to the next one and you never get to see the actual talks that he gives and the lectures yeah. so you ever get to see the actual well for a documentary about football 
there's only one tiny clip of the match being played in the entire film <laughs> and you don't realise and when it comes in it's really jarring it's like oh my god yeah this is a film that's about football <laughs> this is the first instance we've seen you do it. know it's the Leighton or in a hockey team right <laughs> <laughs> this is why it's more great because yeah, it, it, I love stories that's what I loved about football back in the day so I don't want to see any football in this documentary I want to see the journey that Sitton goes on for the whole thing just follow yeah. a man's emotional journey so are you aware obviously you weren't really aware of him on the story prior do you no. know do you know what happened post oh, post God. documentary with Sitton no, no I don't know what happened well I, I, well, I do the, the end credits say that he was banned from the ground that's <laughs> astonishing that's a, the last yeah. the last thing you see in that the, two, the end credits say two things he's banned from the ground and Tony Wood has tried to reopen his business in Rwanda yeah which blows my yeah. mind as best it? of luck Wood <laughs> yeah. you can't even answer a phone properly <laughs> Rebuild your business yeah, in a yeah. war-torn country. Look. Also, at one point, Wood there's a, a shot where Wood takes his coat off and notices the cameras on him and goes, "You want me to pay, pose for page three? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, which obviously it's, like, it's so nineties. Yeah, but you know, at that point, yeah. that's the main like reference. <laughs> the main now, book. now, if anyone made a joke that was kind of like that, it would be about actual pornography, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. or like, uh, you know, like you know, someone maybe you know, reference like X Hamster or something like that, okay, or Pornhub. There's another great but, like, Tony Wood moment, which is when he's John Sitton basically asks if he'll get an extension to his contract. Yeah, and Tony Wood, for impact, uh, takes off his glasses, but they yes. get caught on his ear. <laughs> He he seconds, he's trying to wrestle them off his ear. That's such a stunning observation. I was like, is he really struggling to get the glasses past his ear? Or is he playing with his ear? But then he becomes a parent. He's, he's struggling. He's trying to reopen a business in Rwanda. He can't take off his glasses. <laughs> um, would you like I don't to know f- what happened to him afterwards. So I have a feeling this is going to be darker than I'd like. No, it's not. The epilogue no? is he oh. never really, he never came back into professional football. He was a, became, he did the knowledge the year after. He's still oh. a black cab driver this day. Had a few flirtations. He was their assistant manager at Enfield and Leighton, but that, yeah. that he is was, a black cabbie. And that was that. That's all right. Yeah. Oh, if I one day. You should day, see him ranting can... at Uber drivers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you, you yeah, silly automated cunt. <laughs> <laughs> Gets the app out. Look. Look at all of them, they're all scattered around, getting a line! <laughs> they're all dotting around all over this place! So, to sum up, you like him? Really like him, really empathise with him, and fully in his corner. I think he's a, a nice man, but I'd be gutted if he was the new manager of Plymouth Argyle. Harry Redknapp says, like, being a football manager is all about the context and luck and the squad you have and the support of the board. And I thought John Sitton at that time didn't really have any of that. And yeah. in another life, maybe he would have gone on to be a good manager. Yeah. So you can't, I found it hard to judge him on the football because obviously, like, as James, you say, mm. that team were rubbish and they let him down left, right, yeah, and centre. Yeah. And he never really kind of came back into football management. But I think at his heart, he's a nice guy and the whole documentary is kinder to him than those little rants. Mm. I think his biggest mistake throughout the documentary was agreeing to be part of a student documentary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lesson that applies to all nineties uh, documentaries yeah. about football. Yeah. I'd say he's my <laughs> he's now my third favourite ever football manager. <laughs> That's what I would say. Who are the top two? Ferguson number two. Yeah. Number one. I mean, you probably guess number one. Bear in mind that I what I like about football is storylines and stories and characters that you root for and nice nice stories. Just a ma- manager who has got that is uh, 
Cluffy. Uh, Cluffy, absolutely my favourite. Absolutely love him. I was so convinced you were going to say your number one was Emilio Estes. <laughs> Got yeah. it. Should have been. Honorary mention. <laughs> Emilio. James Acaster, thank you very much. That is the fucking straw that broke the camel's back. That is typical fucking Lake Norrie. Okay, that's James Acaster. What a documentary, Josh. Amazing, loved it. Yeah, it's like again changes your mind when you watch these things back. It really does. Um, it was a while ago that we recorded that, and um, I can't really remember it. So I think everything I had to say I said uh, in the recording. <laughs> <laughs> right, we've had some reviews. We've so, got another two for you this week. Here's how you can play along. Go on iTunes, leave us a, a review. A five, five star helps. Yeah. And if uh, and mention anything from the nineties. Oh yeah, we picked two. Katrina and the Waves was a particular hit last week. I really enjoyed because I'd that. forgotten why, and then I listened to the podcast. <laughs> and I was like, has Michael gone rogue? If people <laughs> joined at that episode, they think, why are they still with Katrina and the Waves? But this is the reason yeah. why we pick a couple of reviews that feature nineties references. Michael picks his favourite. Goes in the titles next week. Got two for you. Me and the twins listen to this as we're driving around the Grand Prix and our <laughs> go karts. Who's that, Josh? Pat Sharp. Pat Sharp, correct. The Badger correct. 3107. The second, I caught my husband listening to this nonsense whilst preparing tea and light refreshments for the vicar. Most unsavoury. Any guesses? Right. Hyacinth Bouquet, oh. a.k.a. David from Wimbledon. Uh, fun house for me all the way. Oh, when this had caught my husband, I was hoping it was going to be Lorena Bobbitt. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Quiz? For the listeners, uh, Chris has got to go to watch Ivo Graham live at the Soho Theatre. So we've got three minutes to finish the podcast. Michael. Right, here's this week's quiz. So for those of you who don't already know, each week Chris and Josh goes head-to-head in a 90s football-based quiz, the winner of which gets to choose the 90s song that plays out the show. Now, at the end of the last episode, we announced that each week the quiz would be based around a classic 90s quiz show format. So... This week, based on the popularity of Mark Lawrenson's David Ginola anagram, oh, no. the quiz will be a 90s footballer countdown oh, conundrum. No. Never, never, never got a conundrum. Chris and Josh will have 30 seconds to guess the name of the 90s footballer from the anagram. First one to get it wins. Here is your anagram. The anagram is Pink German Beds. P-I-N-K-G-E-R-M-A-N-B-E-D-S. Pink German Beds. Your time starts now. Oh my God. I can't do this. <laughs> so bad at anagrams. And I'm also thinking, should I be providing audio content throughout this for the... Uh... <laughs> oh, man. Can we have a clue? I'll give you a clue once the time runs out. Don't know how to do this. Time is up. Okay, so neither of you have guessed. No, it's too difficult. I'm going to give it's you Romanian. I'm going to give you a clue or a series of clues. Yeah. First person to guess the correct answer okay. wins. Okay. Here's your first clue. He played for Arsenal. His nationality is Dutch. What? <laughs> he was a regular appearance. Buzz. Josh. No. <laughs> Bad anagrams. He was he made regular appearances on Goal of the Month and Goal of the Season. It's not though. He formed a formidable strike partnership with Ian Wright. And you've it's got to look at the wrong one. There's no D in it. No, it's not a no, there's no okay, There's no P. I just oh there is! Buzz! It's Dennis Burkham! Josh, well, correct. No. It's Dennis Burkham. <laughs> oh, oh. 
I always can't be Dennis Bergkamp. Oh. There's no name, is there? I, oh my god! So I mean, I'm tempted to say no one wins. However, technically, Josh was first. So, what track would you like to play out the show this week? I suppose I should end with something Dutch. Yeah. yeah. I think I'll end with uh, Hadaway's "What Is Love." Please. <laughs> oh god! More than makes up for losers. Right. right. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to get in touch with the show. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin. And sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. Okay, that's it for this week. Don't forget to sign up to our Twitter. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.